You're listening to From Heaven and Hope, a weekly podcast where Nicole Frazier brings you conversations from those who have been affected by grief. Whether a parent, child, friend, counselor, pastor, or philanthropist, everyone moves through and conquers grief in their own way. We know that what you're facing is a long road, but no matter how dark that road is, there will always be light. There will always be purpose. From where they are in heaven to the hope you need to move forward, we want to help you on that journey. Here is today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of From Heaven and Hope. I am so excited to share with you today's guest. Today we have Krista Couture, who is somebody who truly knows grief from every angle and at every stage. She is a cancer survivor, a mother of babies here, earthside and in the heavens above. She is an author. She is a wonderful individual offering a wealth of knowledge and encouragement to you and to me and to anybody grieving and i'm so excited for you to hear her story and feel her strength from the other side of the mic so please enjoy my conversation with krista kutcher hi krista how are you today hi i'm good thanks for coming on i'm so excited so just for anybody who is listening who maybe doesn't know about you i mean obviously i know quite a bit now but Maybe you could share a little bit about yourself and why you're here today on this particular podcast. Yeah. Well, I am a writer and a musician and a broadcaster currently based in Toronto. I am also Cree. I am queer. I'm a mom. (laughs) And my book, How to Lose Everything, came out almost a year ago, um, one from today. Well, (laughs) where are we? I guess it's almost September. It came out September 2020. And it's a memoir um, where each chapter focuses on or tells the story of of a different loss that I've experienced. I I often introduce the book with my grief bio, which is a bit tongue in cheek, but it's uh, cancer, amputation, death, death, divorce, more cancer. That's like the the short synopsis of my book, and and in bullet point, you know, it, it's it, it's striking. Um, I know, but um, I, I go into each of those stories, which was that I had bone cancer when I was a kid, and uh, my left leg was amputated above the knee when I was thirteen, as the cure for that cancer. Um, but it was such a huge change, and then the two deaths, and really the the everything part of how to lose everything for me was, uh, my two sons, my first son died as a newborn and my second son died at 14 months old. And then my marriage ended after that. And then I got thyroid cancer and it stopped my singing career for a while. And so it's been a lot, (laughs) um, but those are, those, those are the stories. And and that's the, the short answer. Yeah. Which is not really short in the sense that the, the, the story itself is quite big, quite Mm. great. And that, that amount of trauma and grief, I imagine could feel like insurmountable at times. So how did you ensure that you didn't let it like just crumble you completely? I think I did crumble at times. Um, you know, I, I couldn't have written this book any sooner in my life. (laughs) I had to reach a point where these experiences were in the past which is not to say that I'm not still grieving or they aren't still with me, 
but I couldn't be kind of actively going through them. I think grief can be such a, you fall apart, you're in pieces. I mean, that's what we say, right? And um, writing a book is is putting pieces together and it, it, it needs to make sense ideally and kind of have a beginning and a middle and end. And so to be able to tell my story in this way, to, to craft uh, uh, and write down a book, I, those, I had to be done with the falling apart. So, but I think I did, I think I did crumble. I mean, there's times there's stretches, certainly after, uh, my first son and both and my second son's death that are just kind of black, hazy memories where I know I was just barely getting by. And, you know, sometimes people, um, they they'll attribute all kinds of qualities to me and, you know, that I'm resilient or there must be something that I'm, I'm a very strong person. And, and I, I think I am those things at the same time. It's not just me, you know, I, I, they were not insurmountable losses because I had, um, a community and I, um, had resources and I was always housed and fed, um, and had access to, to therapy, you know? And so those are, those are resources and, and privileges that I had that carried me through. And I think without those things around me, my own resilience was never going to be enough to get me through it. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, it seems entirely right to me. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you uh, had cancer and you lost your leg, you were, you were a child. So how do you, how do you kind of navigate that loss? Because it's not the loss of a person that's like a loss of the piece of you, like a physical piece of you. So how do you navigate that as a, as a little kid? You know, now when I meet 13 year olds, I just feel like my, I just go like, Oh, you're so little, <laughs> which could be, you know, it's probably very patronizing to 13 year olds, but at the time, like that's, it's, it's all I knew. I mean, in some ways, because I'd already had cancer for a couple of years, by the time my leg was amputated, some of those experiences have been normalized for me. I knew other kids who'd lost limbs. They seemed cool. You know, um, they were my friends. And because I was a kid, I didn't have that perspective that we do as adults or that the adults around me would have of like, oh, this is now like different life. Krista will now have a very different life than she was going to before. And I, I just, I didn't know that. And, and so I think there was something in, in just the ignorance of, of being a kid that, that carried me through, I think in my late teens, once I, you know, was becoming more aware of like the bigger world out there. And I was, you know, leaving my hometown, I was leaving Edmonton and moved to Vancouver. And that then I was like, oh, this is a rare experience. And I'm, most people have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about having had cancer and having a disability. And, and I kind of, there was a delayed grief that really didn't catch up with me until my twenties, um, where I started to go, okay, this is big. <laughs> and what am I missing? And what am I grieving? And, and that's even been, that, that's continued. I mean, as my sort of even my politics around disability have evolved and into my thirties and, you know, and now my forties that I'm learning more about, um, disability and myself, um, that kind of that, that piece of like, how do I reconcile losing a part of myself is, is been an ongoing work. Um, but yeah, I think there's a way this is, I'm, this is a very circular long answer, but there was sort of a way that as a kid that I think I was kind of protected from 
that that bigger understanding and in a way that helped me at the time and then once I was older then it then it came in yeah and it sounds like if it came in like around your 20s that might have I mean correct me if I'm wrong but this might have coincided actually with the passing of your first son correct so all at the same time you're just navigating a whole all at the same time yeah I think sometimes even the the deaths of my son's and they, in a way postponed some of that other grief, like the, the deaths of my sons it was so big <laughs> that maybe that's partly how it's been a longer process for me to, I don't know, want to say come to terms, but like accept, um, the loss of my leg because mm-hmm. these other bigger, harder things were happening. And, and it kind of, it, it took a while to sort of every now and then come back to this other part of like, oh, right. This other thing that still is tender, or I still haven't quite figured out <laughs> because I've been so busy trying to figure out these other big things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so in those like early days, like with your, maybe even not in the early days, but sort of in that, in that big grieving period, like around your sons, were there any like tactical logistical things that you did to make yourself feel better. I mean, I say better, but I know like I've listened to a lot of your talks. And one of the things that I really love that you say is that like, it might not be okay. It might just be different. So maybe getting to a point where accepting that it would be different or, and what that looks like, and that could be okay in the end or. or Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I have a whole shtick about, about things not getting better at the same time. Like I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm careful to talk about how things get better because I think that gets a lot of press. There's sort of, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on how we get better and how we're going to be okay. And so there is some truth in that, (laughs) but at the same time, my kind of mandate, you know, I sort of wave this flag of like how it's not okay for a long time, because I feel like that's where we, that's where we need to give some more understanding and some more compassion, which is, you know, what, what you do. It's like this, this, this area of our lives that is, is everyone experiences, but that we're not talking enough about. But so, but at the time, you know, I think there was, there was a number of things, you know, certainly in the very early days, um, it's kind of a cliche, but it really works. Like people bringing food, (laughs) um, people just stepping in and doing some of those practical things for us that we couldn't even wrap our heads around. And, um, you know, or doing the thing that came kind of naturally to them. I mean, not everyone wants to cook, but like the, the one friend who's really good at organizing, who made a spreadsheet and organized other people to bring food, you know, and the things that I did that were helpful, you know, was just trying to find ways to pass the time. I think in the beginning, when you're in shock and it just hurts so much, you really just have to past the time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was like hours and hours of, of television, serialized television. This was pre Netflix. <laughs> It'd be so much easier now, but this, I had friends who were like burning DVDs and dropping off hard drives with all seven seasons of Buffy and, <laughs> and, you know, just something that I could, when I woke up, I could just start watching until I fell asleep, you know, something to just get me through the days because the, the dust has to settle and hopefully there's something you can find that, you know, doesn't hurt you yeah. or, or someone else, but that's not even always possible. And then kind of, even in the first couple of years, the, the things that made a biggest difference for me were, were the ways that people remembered or supported me in remembering. I, I advice I give or a thing I even do, if, if someone in my life loses a family member or something, I will in that moment put it in my Google calendar with a yearly 
reminder, you know, so that, and, and even, you know, from two months ahead of time. So I get a little message on my phone. Cause of course we're all busy and we forget things, but like that reminds me, oh, that anniversary is coming up because the people who would remember and just say, Hey, you know, it's been almost a year. Like, how are you? Like, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of, of, of Emmett, or I'm thinking of Ford and, and just the small gestures of people letting me know they were thinking of me or even just letting me know they didn't know what to say. And they were kind of struggling with what to say. At least it was honest. Um, so yeah, I would say the things that helped were people checking in, were finding ways to pass the time. And then some of those resources I mentioned, like eventually like finding a really great therapist (laughs) and finding a space to start to explore that grief. Yeah. No, that, that makes complete sense. And I love the Google, Google calendar advice. Cause that is true. It's the, when people remember the, the birthdays and the anniversaries, it's really, yeah. cause we all swoop in. There's so much support around an event, you know, yeah. even if it's, if it's not the death of someone like a divorce or, or just something will happen. And, and generally people around you will swoop in and help you. And then everyone goes back to their lives. It's very normal but you're still left with that. And so a year later, two years later, the three or four year mark where people have kind of, they have their own lives and it's filled up, but you're still thinking about it and feeling it all the time. And so setting those reminders so that we can, you know, do some of that remembering for each other, I think is really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. So if someone else was going through the same circumstance or a similar circumstance, you would support them by connecting with them on the anniversaries, dropping off food or whatever your strength yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> your strength is. Yeah. I would exactly do the thing that, you know, kind of comes easy to me. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if baking makes you stressed, don't do that. Um, but if you're happy to mow a lawn, you know, yeah. And I, I do a lot of the checking in, you know, since I've lost my sons and, and other people in my life have gone on to have other losses. That's a thing that I've I practice and that people have let me know is meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even a friend, her dad died more than 20 years ago. And I still every year say something and, and I know it means a lot to her because some people are like, oh, it's been 20 years. Like, <laughs> but it, you know, and, and it's it changed and it's different, but it's like, it still hurts. And, and that day can still be a big day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think those are the, some of the most practical things we can do for people and then be patient, right? We need to like, it's such a big picture game. It's such a waiting game with grief and giving everyone time and knowing that there is no timeline on that stuff, I think is something else we can do for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, so speaking of like timelines, like as I know, one of the things that I've struggled with, like as time passes is well, number one, that everybody just goes back to their normal lives and you're like kind of left there in the dust, but, but also that there's, there's triggers that happen and you don't know when they're going to arise or what they're going to be even sometimes. So do you have any experience with that or advice about how to manage triggers? Because those, those can appear out of nowhere and years down the road. Out of nowhere. Goodness. Yes. (laughs) I have experienced a lot of triggered moments when I don't expect them and don't want them. (laughs) I remember being in like a shopper's drug mart and it was, I don't even know what the song was. Something was playing on the radio and it just hit me. And I actually had to sit down on the floor. I, 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 I couldn't move and I was sobbing and I mean, and then just embarrassed, you know, you're embarrassed. It's awful. So, um, so those moments will come. <laughs> yeah. I think over time, 
those moments started to scare me less. I think what helps is knowing, and maybe the only way to know this is through experience, but if maybe someone will hear this and it can stay with them, is like knowing that it will pass. Like that intense wave is going to pass and you are going to get through it. And I know that now so that when I'm in it, when something hits me and it's unexpected and maybe I'm frustrated with that, or maybe it's like, okay, here we go. There is a part of me that at least has an awareness of like, okay, this is coming and we're going to get through. And this, I know what it's going to look like. And I kind of know what to do afterwards, like some, whatever your self-soothing is, if that's, you know, letting someone know what happened or talking to someone or calling someone or just listening to a song you love or, or sitting and, you know, breathing or all the different things we can do, smelling something, eating something. But for me, it, it's been just an understanding that it's temporary because when you're in it, it's, it, it can be really hard to remember that it's temporary, right? Because it's so big and it's so hard. Yeah. 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 And so like more so, I guess, and probably in regards, in relation to sort of loss of your, of your kids, one of the things that, I mean, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast that have been on are people, uh, infertility and child loss. Like that's sort of like a, a typical thing we talk about. We talk about all things, but that's seems to be the predominant guests or that's, that's who yeah. wants to chat. But one of the main triggers and one of the things that people have the hardest time with, particularly right after is like pregnancy announcements and yeah. like big happy life events. And so I was just curious what your perspective is on that. What like if you, if you knew somebody who was going through something and then, and then you ended up telling them you were pregnant, like how, how would you go about doing that? Just having been through something similar to be sensitive to that as well as celebrating yourself. Cause obviously you need to be able to do that too. Yeah. Right. These things all happen at the same time. These things coexist at the same time. And this is this like messy gray area of our lives. (laughs) You know, I found, um, when I was the, when I was the one where that news was going to be hard, the people in my life who would call me and say, Hey, I'm pregnant. We don't have to talk about it. If you don't want to, I'm happy to tell you about it. I'm happy. I want to invite you to the baby shower. It's okay. If you can't be there who just kind of like, let me know. And then gave me those options. And we're so understanding of those options. Mm-hmm. I had a friend, I mean, a friendship that ended, but like who, who, who couldn't do that, who was like, really needed to like, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to be, I don't have to disguise that I'm excited. And, you know, and I, and I'm just going (laughs) to blast this around the world, but people who could, who could sort of, who who could say, like, I see you, you let me know what you want your involvement to be. And, you know, another really good friend of mine, she'd actually also lost a child and then went on to have two other kids. And, and at one point, I, I even said, I was like, oh, you never talk about your kids to me. And she was like, no, cause I, 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 I know what that's like. And I, if I don't, we don't have to go there. I have other people I can talk to about my kids. I don't need to talk about my kids all the time. It's totally fine. There's a million other things we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Our friendship doesn't have to be about that. And so I learned from that. I, you know, and I now, I now have a daughter, she's almost four. And when I was pregnant, with her. And, you know, there's a lot of people in my life because of my experiences who have also had loss. And I felt so aware of, of all these things being true at once that so many people were going to be so happy for me because of my losses. And that some people were going to be happy for me, but say, I also can't hear about it 
because mm-hmm. it breaks my heart. And that it, that's not personal, right? Like it wasn't about me. And so I think it's, you know, just <laughs> it's giving people space to show up the way that they are. And so if like they want to, you know, ask about the baby or hear about the baby. Great. If they end up blocking you on Instagram, no problem because they just can't deal. Another friend of mine, it was so when her baby was born, I loved on Facebook. She just like first made a post. She was like, Hey, my baby was born last week. I'm going to start sharing photos. I totally get that for people out there with fertility issues or lost. They don't want to see that like hide mute me now, please. Um, I don't want to hurt you. And I'm going to share this because I want it to reach the people who want to see it. And it just was so great. And at the time I was like, great, going to mute you happy for you. Can't deal with it right now. And it just was so like, it was such an acknowledgement. And, and, um, so I've learned from other people who've done that. Well, yeah, it's hard though. Right. It's hard. It, it, the thing about kids, it, there's so many different places that it hurts. It's yeah. infertility or loss, or even people who never wanted kids and they, are tired of being told there's something wrong with them. <laughs> They're not wanting to have kids. Like there's just all these ways that it's this loaded issue. You never know what's going on for someone connected to it. It's not simple for anyone really. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tricky area. <laughs> yeah. And like with, with child loss or infant loss or infertility, that all happens at the same time as people getting pregnant and having babies, because that's, the nature of the game, you all kind of get yeah. pregnant around the same time. It just happens that way. So yeah, it's tough. It's a tough thing to navigate. It's tough to be the one who's excited about your own. And it's also tough to be on the receiving end and it's just hard to navigate. So I'm always interested to hear what people say about that because yeah, I think it's important to be sensitive to both sides. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, you do have a daughter now she's almost four. So she's yeah. about the same age as mine, I think. Hey. And so now that you have her, how do you manage anxiety with her and like with any kind of like maybe your pregnancy with her or like even as she grows up, like anytime she gets sick or is there any kind of fear and anxiety that that goes along with that? And how do you navigate that, manage that? Yeah, I have a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, I remember a year or two ago, actually more than that, I guess, I think it was just before COVID but and she had a really high fever and I just was lying next to her and I just started I didn't even know it was coming. I just realized I was just crying and crying, even though it was so normal. It's so normal to just have a fever. <laughs> um, but I was so scared, you know, before I chose to try and have her, it took me a long time to get to that point because I had to be ready to a encounter another loss. You know, I had, I knew in trying to conceive that meant possibly not conceiving, you know, maybe miscarriage, maybe not caring to term, maybe also all the things that can happen. Mm-hmm. So I had to be ready for that possibility. I had to also be ready for the best case scenario and knowing that the best case scenario of bringing home, you know, a full term healthy baby would also be hard. It was also going to touch on what I lost with my, both of my sons. I mean, my son Emmett, died as a newborn and my son Ford, he was born with a a congenital heart defect. And the first time he came home from the hospital, he was six months old and he was only home for a week. And, and so getting to bring home a baby, a newborn, I felt so much sadness because I didn't get to have that with either of my sons. And so I knew, even if that's what happens, even if the one thing I really hope for happens, (laughs) I'm still going to have this grief that comes up. And so I had to be ready as ready as possible 
to encounter that. And being ready for me meant that I'd had, you know, lots of worked on this a lot in, in therapy. Um, I did a lot of EMDR for me. That was a really helpful modality. And, and some of even just those tools we talked about of like being triggered of being like, okay, well, what are my tools when I'm triggered? Okay. Right. I know it will pass. I know, you know, some of these breathing techniques, I, you know, can know to look around the room. Like I have these things now in place that I've practiced. Okay. (laughs) So I can now go through this with her. And so sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it breaks my heart. I mean, it's so worth it because she brings so much joy into my life and, and I can't imagine the world without her and uh, going through these hard things is worth it with her. And, you know, I saw, you know, she has a mom who is very scared and probably a bit overprotective and like, that's (laughs) just what we're dealing with. (laughs) I took took my daughter to the, to uh, McMaster, like to the children's hospital three times when she had a fever once, once during COVID, when she got a tick bite, I knew I took it out, but I was just freaked out. So yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens. It comes with the territory. But so speaking of your daughter now, like, how do you, how do you kind of, cause the, one of the things that I have some trouble with, or me and my husband kind of talk about this a lot is that we love her and she's here and she's, you know, beautiful and a joy and everything, but had things been different, like, of course we didn't want anything to happen to Brady and Levi, like our other, but had those been different, she wouldn't be here. So how do you, how do you kind of manage those? Cause that's a really hard thing to reconcile, like what was supposed to happen. Yeah. I really relate to that. Yeah. Because, you know, I would not have chosen for either of my sons to die. Exactly. And my life right now is a good life. Yes. Right. And so I think, you know, I think as humans, we have, we want to make sense of it. We say, look, I can connect the dots. And because this happened, because they died and then we did this. And now this, now we have this person, we have, you and I have our daughters. Right. And so I I think there's just like, for me, it's actually kind of coming to terms with the fact that I can't make sense. I can't reconcile it. I, you know, she's not a consolation prize. Um, It's just, this is where I got to in life. And I don't want that to hang over her. Right. I don't want her to feel like the shadow of her brothers or, you know, because it also happens so long before she got here. And, and of course I tell her about them and we have pictures and we make them birthday cards on their birthdays. And, and so she's aware of them and, and her understanding will evolve. But I, I, you know, I, I don't have like a solution to that. I really feel for that conundrum yeah. because yeah, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I would have planned, but that's not to say I don't want it. You yeah. know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a funny contradiction. Well, and a, yet- I think it's a very good, like example of the, it's not okay, but it's different. Like it's exactly it's okay being different. Like, and it's good being different. It's just it's this, exactly. This is yeah. like shit happened. (laughs) And in response to that, I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm picking up the pieces and creating something else. And, you know, it's even like with my leg, like I never would, if someone had said, do you want to have cancer or not? I would have said no, (laughs) but that wasn't an option. And so I, but I, I, I'm not going to like hate my disabled body or resent that I only have one leg because I because cancer was an awful experience, but because it's like, but this is who I am. This is the body I'm in. These are the people in my life. There's all these things that got me here that 
I wouldn't have chosen. And yet here we are, you know, I think it's, there's such a, there's probably some philosophers who have better answers to this, this question, but it's, it's hard. I really hear you on that. Like it's a, it's a, it's, it's a a kind of contrast of, of this longing and also this happiness. Um, Yeah, no, completely makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have things around your house that sort of like a little memorials for your, for your kids or, and like, how do you, how does, does she know, um, does your daughter know their names and like, how do you kind of work them into your, your life? Yeah. I have one place in my home where there's photos up of, uh, both of my boys and also a, a picture of Sona. And there's a couple of photo albums, um, that she really likes to look at, um, like the Emmett album and the Ford album when we see that I was pregnant and, you know, that's, that's where they grew and that's where she grew. And, <laughs> And so I kind of follow her lead. Like, I don't, I don't really dumb it down. Like I used, I've used the word I've said they've died and they were here and they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if she has questions, I answer them, but so far she doesn't like, at, of course it's going to come. Yeah. Um, and on their birthdays, you know, I say it's their birthday today and let's do something special for them. And I'm really thinking about them. And of course she loves birthdays. So that's, <laughs> no, that's no problem. And so, yeah, like it's present. And when she wants to look at the photo, there's been times she pulls up that photo album and I'm like, I do not want to look at that right now, but okay. And I look at it with her and, and, but I don't, I otherwise don't bring it up a lot. I mean, I know people who, you know, in similar experiences with their, their children that have come later, you know, will kind of say goodnight to the siblings every night or that kind of thing. We don't have that sort of daily practice but it, but it's there, like the story is there. And I sort of imagine once she's in school and we're talking about families and what different families look like, it might, you know, there might be some questions there too, because she has these two brothers who are gone. So it, it I keep it kind of around, <laughs> um, but I'm sort of waiting to see what she thinks of it as she gets older. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So Okay. So let's move on to the book. So when you, when you wrote your book, what was the, like, why did you write it in the sense that like, was it more catharsis for you or did you feel like there was a need for it kind of in the general world for people to be reaching for? A couple things. I, I'm a musician and a singer songwriter. And I, in many ways, I've told the stories that are in this book in my songs. My songwriting is very autobiographical. I just write about myself. (laughs) Um, And so I'd already been kind of expressing these stories, expressing my grief, even talking about some of these things, you know, through interviews and the press release and that kind of thing that would happen. But I feel like I was, I wasn't quite getting the version of the story that I wanted in a way. Like I, you know, I, I proud of the music I've made and all of that, but I felt like I wanted to write the book because I wanted to tell kind of a bigger version, a more complete version of the story. And initially it was going to be a book just about my son's um, and then I zoomed out m- more into this, this thesis of, of these different losses, partly because my literary agent was like, you've had actually a lot of different, really uh, like remarkable experiences. Like, what about that? And, and then I, I, I like how it turned out. It kind of shaped this, this, this version of the book. But so in some ways it was um, to express myself and, you know, to share my story in this way. But also it was very much to give back, I think. I I feel like in my grief, there have been books and songs and and 
the way that other people have shared those experiences that have helped me. I have been helped by other people sharing their story and in sharing mine, I feel like I'm contributing to what's out there. You know, someone will find my book or they'll find a different book, like, but whatever it is. And if mine finds them in that moment that it can help them, that was a, a, a big motivator for me that I wanted to let people know or that they're not alone. I want other people to feel less alone. I want to feel less alone. So in terms of like putting this out there, I'm like, great. Now we both feel less. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to give it in a way as kind of a tool, like everyone experiences grief, of course, but not everyone goes through some of these more extraordinary losses and the loss of a child is up there. Right. So people have been curious about me. Sometimes people have only known I'm the person with one leg and they're like, wow, but that's wild. What is that? And, or people have only known I'm the, the one who lost two children. And, and I felt like people have wondered about me. And so this was a way of telling the story, how I want to tell it and kind of answering those questions and giving some insight into what it was like for me. So that someone, if they are supporting a friend who's grieving or they encounter a loss like this in their own life down the road, that they'll have some sense of, of what that looks like or some compassion about what that might look like. So it was kind of twofold in the, like, this is for people who can relate. And this is for people who just want to know what it's like, you know? <laughs> um, and, and that of course, then as an artist, I make things and I write stories in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was catharsis kind of in how earlier I was talking about, I couldn't have written this book any sooner. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the catharsis had to happen before I wrote it. Like I, I feel like catharsis is that messy, you're letting everything out, you're moving through the emotion. And that's really important. And a lot of that can happen through making art. But I, for me, that is not the art that you share or make public. <laughs> it's like the art that you like perform or publish is where you've gotten through all that messy part and now you can shape it and craft it into something, which is not to say that it wasn't sort of healing in a way, or it was certainly very fulfilling to write it, um, to literally write my story, um, you know, is is in some ways just a a, a very meaningful exercise for anyone to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, it was very meaningful. Um, Yeah, but those are all the the reasons I, I wrote it. Yeah, I think, I mean, that completely makes sense. And I, and I, I honestly do think it would be a really great tool for somebody who does, doesn't know as well. Right. Like, like you said, like I, I was hoping you would say that because I'm like, I, I truly feel like I, um, I mean, obviously I've been through some of your experiences similarly, but some obviously not. And I was reading through a bit today. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what I was, I was reading through the part today where they cut open your neck and like in the yes. surgery. And then I was like, Oh my gosh. And, and just how panicked that would have been, but how it came across very, like, I just, like, I just have to get like, just a, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but (laughs) that was just an experience that like I have never experienced. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say, or what I'm, even if I'm not actually saying it is, is is like, I think it, even if you aren't relating completely, it definitely would be a tool for at least empathy for, you know, And isn't that why we sometimes read books? Like we want to find out about things we have no person. It's like, wow, I never knew about that. I like, are like, and so that was part of it too. It's like, here, I've been to this place that not a lot of people have been. Yeah. Here's my slideshow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, holy smokes. 
Okay. So with that, why don't we sort of like gear towards the end? So is there any words of encouragement or anything you want to leave people with today before we kind of wrap up? Hmm. I mean, if people are in it right now, if someone is listening and you are in the throes, you're in that really rough terrain. All I can say is like, like I see you (laughs) and there's no shortcut out of there, but that you will find your way through. But I think for me, sometimes what the most powerful thing was, was just an acknowledgement of like, yeah, this is hard and Mm -hmm. that's it. So if someone is there, I just like want to say, yeah, this is hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And what today, like today being years and years later, what, what goes through your mind when you think about your kids, like your sons that have passed on? What, what do you remember? What, what do you think about? Hmm. I, you know, I mean, lots of things. Like I think of Ford's fluffy strawberry blonde hair and his blue eyes and uh, yeah, but all of the, the memories, I mean, it always comes to some like center of, of, of loving them. I mean, I think parenting, however you come to parenting, it's this part of your heart that, that doesn't get illuminated through any other experience, which is not to say if you don't parent, you don't have, you know, a full, big, full heart, (laughs) but there's something in that kind of experience that I am so grateful for. And, and so when I think of them these years later, that's what I think of. I think of this light being turned on in part of me that it's like, oh, this is within me. And I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. Where can everybody, where can everybody find you if they're looking for you or your book or anything? In all the places, you know, christacouture.com. My music's on Spotify and Bandcamp and Apple Music. I'm on Instagram more than any other social media platform. So that's at Couture. Um, my book is available wherever you get your books, libraries, your local bookstore, Amazon. Um, and so, yeah, just, just look, find my name and you will find the things. (laughs) Just Google it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I'm so grateful you were willing to sit and chat with me today and share your pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to From Heaven and Hope. If you found today's episode comforting, encouraging, and enlightening, I encourage you to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Please take care and know that you're never alone in this journey.